Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Rain and I'm so glad you're here, babes. This podcast is all about opening up, having important conversations and celebrating successes, as well as overcoming obstacles to reign over our own lives. I love to chat to people and I always find things in these conversations to take away and use in my own life. So I really hope you'll find the same as well. Welcome to Rain. Dust off your tiara and finery because this week we're joined by Downton Abbey's Lady Mary Michelle Dockery. Michelle grew up in Essex and started her career in theatre before she got a break of her lifetime starring in Downton Abbey. Ten years later, after six seasons, a movie and four Emmy Award nominations for Michelle, we are heading back to Grantham for a new film, Downton Abbey, A New Era. It's also a new era for Michelle, as she recently starred in Netflix's Anatomy of a Scandal as a bad bay barrister Kate, who represents a woman accusing her former boss of rape. Starring alongside Sienna Miller and Naomi Scott, the plot twists are juicy, so be warned there are some spoilers in this episode. Today, we talk about returning to Downton, how working on Anatomy of a Scandal made Michelle reflect on how sex can be so male-dominated, and how she felt truly in her own power when she turned 40. I loved hearing Michelle talk about the start of her career, where she landed her role in Downton while she was living in a house share. So I hope you find her story just as inspiring as I did. Crowns at the ready. Let's reign. Hello, babe. How are you? Hi, Josh. I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Well, I'm all the Bella because... Downton Abbey is back in our lives. Lady Mary is back in our lives. I feel like my soul needed this. For me, it's kind of like the greatest comeback since the Spice Girls reformed. Do you know what I mean? And she's also giving us that kind of like (laughs) posh, spice, who do you think you are energy. So it kind of works, that analogy, right? (laughs) Great. I think it works. Yeah. But I feel like these characters are such a comfort blanket for so many people. (laughs) And... I guess for you, this character must have been quite a comfort to you at different times in your life too. How much of a comfort has she been to you at different times, would you say? I mean, I agree. I feel like this show is so comforting for the audience out mm. there. I think it's I think it's one of the reasons why people keep coming back. Yeah. It's like seeing old friends, isn't it? They've like had us in their lives for 12 years now. Um and we, in turn, have had the same. You know, we've all been in each other's lives for such a long time. So it is 
it is like a family. It's like going back home sometimes. And um, we're just delighted every time we get to get back together um, and put on those costumes and shoes again and sort of slip into very familiar territory, mm. which is it's quite rare for an actor to, to be able to go back, keep going back to something. Um, you know, a lot of the time you're saying goodbye to something and then you're moving on to something quite quickly, a new group of people, um, you know, new territory, different country or, you know, but whereas with this, it's like when Downton comes along, it's like, oh, I know this. I know it so well. <laughs> and it makes it really easy, actually, just to step back into it. Sometimes it's nice just to have an easy job, babe, isn't it? Let's get real. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's like a regular job and it is so rare for actors. You know, we don't have that luxury. So, um, yeah. And, and when I say easy, it is really easy. Like I can look at my lines like just the, you know, the day before sometimes and it just goes in immediately because I know this character so well. Yeah. Whereas other jobs, like something like Anatomy of a Scandal is like, I have to... I have to hope have those lines in my bones and, <laughs> and saying them in my sleep in order to get to remember them, you know. Yeah, and I mean, you have lived with this character for like over a decade. And within that, there's so many life milestones you go through and your life has changed so much in that time. So let's take it back to the beginning when you first auditioned for Downton Abbey. Who were you? Where were you? Walk us through that space in your life. So I was 26 and I um, got the call to audition for this role, Lady Mary in Downton Abbey. And um, I was living with three other girls in a big house. It felt like a student house. Um, (laughs) So there were four of us living in this house. And um, I remember getting the the audition and, and... and thinking this is this is a big one, you know. Julian Fellows had written it. Hugh Bonneville was already attached. Maggie Smith, you know, the writer of the Oscar-winning Gosford Park, and all of that. I mean, it felt like a big deal. And you know, at the time, I was auditioning for lots of other parts and wasn't getting certain parts that um, I perhaps wanted at the time. And so I went into it thinking, okay, I'm just going to give this my best shot. And I was, I remember being really conscious of doing it and then letting it go and not hanging on to it for too long because I was, you know, anticipating disappointment, you know, so sort of preparing myself for that. And um, I remember getting the call and I was in my this house that I shared with my mates in my room. And I remember getting the call from my agent and I had to sit down. I remember that when she told me I had to like take a minute and sit down. Um, and it was you know, when I look back, it was life-changing in that moment. That was the moment mm. it happened. Um, and then we never would have have dreamed it would become the phenomenon the show has come and that 12 years later I'd be sat here and we'd still be talking about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> because you you feel that, you know, when you're, when you're doing something, you really hope that it's the audience out there loves it and... Um, all the hard work pays off you know it's obviously really rewarding when when something is received well um but you don't expect it necessarily to go international you know mm. and it's like a, it's such a universally loved show and I feel like when it hit America 
that was when things really started to get crazy. Because <laughs> um, it had already been quite a lot in the UK. You know, there was a lot of noise around it. And we were on the covers of all the papers, you know, the first episode after the first or second episode had aired. So, and then suddenly we were being recognised. And that was, you know, that was obviously a real change, you know, being recognised on the street. And um, so it felt like quite a whirlwind to start with. I feel like I live much more presently in it now. I can kind of take it in a bit more. When I was younger, it was just all like a bit mm. of a blur. <laughs> if you could go back to that you who was sat in your room, who won that audition, got the part, what would you want to say to her if you could sit down next to her now? I'd sit down, I'd sit down next to her and say, Michelle, it's all right. You're going to get that job and it's going to be fine. You know, because I remember at that time thinking... You know, I mean, I'd, I'd had a great start to my career. I'd done great theatre. You know, I'd made such a, a sort of progression in, you know, starting out understudying at the National Theatre, where I understudied like 10 roles at once. And then, you know, Nicholas Heitner there sort of, you know, gave me my start and I sort of worked my way up and began to play more kind of supporting roles and then eventually a lead role at the National. So, I, you know, I'd really sort of worked worked a lot in theatre and then was beginning to do a bit more in television but not you know I hadn't got that that main role yet um and so you know I would say I would say to myself hang in there <laughs> it's uh yeah it, it, it's just around the corner <laughs> and it happened what do you think that girl who was growing up in Essex in Romford would now say to you as well looking at how much stuff you've done in your life and even in the last like 12 years yeah I mean she'd be like wow that's so cool (laughs) Um, I mean I was always from a young age I was I went to to stage school and you know I was always dancing and singing and acting and it was it was definitely there from really early days you know Mm. I was I it was quite clear that I was going to be in the arts and not you know I wasn't an academic at all I was I spent more time in the drama studio um at school than anywhere else and um so so I knew that I wanted to do something in that area and it, and it may have been dance actually initially I I loved dance and I really loved um musicals and musical theatre and at one point it could have easily gone in that direction you know because I auditioned for musicals back then when I was mm. 15 16 um and I sometimes wonder how things might have been a bit different had I have got those roles so, um, so yeah, it was sort of in me from quite a quite a young age, and you know, I I can't imagine sort of doing anything else. Actually, it, mm. it was all started quite young. <laughs> and now you're literally six seasons in. You're one movie in, another literally just about to drop. And I think aside from the escapism that Downton Abbey gives us, it gives us some really poignant moments as well, and especially in the new movie. I love the sweet part where Lord Grantham says to Mary, you're the captain now. And she's really now coming to this point of her life where she's stepping in to her power. And this is what this podcast is all about, those moments where you step into your power. When do you feel like you stepped into your power in your own life? Um, I mean, I think that something like... Downton certainly gave me a lot of confidence and and I think that also came from the character you know because Mm. she is she is such a 
she is such a strong and you know just a fantastic character to play and there is a sort of air of confidence that those you know women of that time had and um I think that certainly helped me to feel more powerful definitely and within my career because you know once you've been established you know as a certain character in a successful show that of course gives you you know a great feeling and a feeling of strength and um and stability within a career that is quite you know it's it's quite um uh, unpredictable you know you you can sort of never know where it's going to go and I feel very lucky that Downton sort of gave me that sort of anchoring um from from a, from a very young age really I mean I was 27 so um I felt definitely that time kind of felt felt like I was sort of as you you know as you say the show is about stepping into um my power I love that and it's so great to actually get to a point in your life where you actually can be like do you know what I'm actually in my power now and I actually feel empowered within myself right because I think all the time if you're always looking for external sources to empower you it's got to be Mm -hmm. that relationship inside as well right absolutely yeah yeah absolutely and I think age of course it comes with age Mm. doesn't it I mean you know I loved turning 40 it was you know I felt like it's you know up on the fourth floor it's quite a nice view (laughs) (laughs) um and I definitely felt that actually when I turned 40 I did feel you know like that feeling that you're talking about I did I felt something shift a little bit when I turned 40 Mm. Yeah, I think there's something about Lady Mary as well, in, in which relates so nicely to that is that I feel like from the beginning right the way to where we are now in the second movie, she does go on this journey of discovering a love for herself because she operates from quite a lot of self hatred in mm. different parts, especially yeah. at the beginning, and I think that is something that so many people can relate to because I think everyone goes on this very weird journey with themselves where they go from sort of like hating themselves to loving themselves and then sort of trying to discover that kind of that part of self-love and how powerful that can be how do you think your journey with that has been I think that's a really good observation of Mary I think she's she you know when I think of her in the early years when she was younger and you know she's she's sort of um you know that that age where you're kind of you think you know what you want you think you Mm. know um what you want I think I can relate to that you know at that age you think you want certain things and um and when I look back I think gosh those decisions I thought I was I thought I knew what I was doing I thought I was mature you you know and I sort of recognize that in Mary a bit and then you know as I've sort of grown up with the character I feel like there is a a sort of much more settled feeling with her and with myself as well. And I think, again, that comes with age and, um, and, and also for Mary, she, I think, I think she kind of been, I I think she sort of was so reluctant to uh, be happy at times. She was, you know, with, when you think back to Matthew and Mary and her sort of Mm. resistance with that, and refusing to sort of do something that maybe outsiders thought was good for her. She was like, no, I know what's good for me. And actually it wasn't good for her. You know, we all knew from the beginning that that relationship was perfect for them. And then as it moved on through the series and various things happened to her, she obviously goes through 
you know, different times where she's, she can be overconfident and arrogant and then it sort of comes out in her behaviour with Edith, doesn't it? I mean, she's so... Her, their relationship is just brilliant, isn't it? And and Laura and I really loved playing those scenes. But there's that one particular series where season six, where Mary is just, you know, she's so resistant. She's fine on her own and he's not good enough for her, Henry, and really resisting that, even though she is in love with him. It's really obvious. Um, and then eventually she sort of just gives in, you know, mm. and I kind of love that moment in season six where she sort of gives in and and gives in to sort of, being happy actually and um and and I love seeing her now in the film um and in both films actually being a little more settled Mm. and (laughs) and also a better relationship with her sister I think it helps that her and Edith live quite far apart yeah that helps my brother too I (laughs) get that (laughs) he's living all the way in Scotland so I think it helps their relationship even though even though Laura and I absolutely love that banter when Julian writes that banter between the sisters. It's really, really fun. Um, but they've definitely softened towards one another now. Yeah. And I think as well within that, when you kind of we do really go on this journey with Lady Mary's mental health, but very much behind this facade, which I think is a really interesting way that it's approached in in mm. the whole breadth of the Downton Abbey era saga. Mm-hmm. It's the aristocracy, isn't it? It's that thing of, mm. you know, not showing your emotions and, you know, she's, she, it's always keeping a brave face. And so I, I think it's great in those moments in Downton where they break, you know, and it's yeah. often around Anna and Carson. They're the mm. two people that she, she can allow herself to be a bit more vulnerable with. Whereas with, you know, her dad or the dowager, you know, well, not the dowager, actually, she's much more open with her. But, you know, there's certain people where she kind of keeps you know, calm and and stoic, but it's Mm. lovely when you see the cracks, you know. One of the things I think is also so great about the kind of banter that you were bringing up as well, that it comes to the Mm. screen so amazingly. And I just love the Dowager Duchess. I love the relationship with Lady Mary. And I think there's one part, especially in this movie, where she talks about how society likes to fit women into categories. And I think what's so interesting when you review the world through period dramas, then you reflect back on how far we come, how much further we need to go. There's still Mm. so much sexism, especially around trying to put women into boxes and into categories. Mm. When you look back at, say, that time that we're in with Lady Mary and these categories that we're still Mm. talking about, how much further do you think we still need to go? And what still really frustrates you about the way that we as a society call categor- still categorise women specifically? I mean, I think we've, I think we've, always, we've come a long way from that time, certainly. And I think what's great in the show is that Julian, you know, he's, he's already addressing that in the show. So a character like Edith is, you know, she wants to go out and and, ha- and have a purpose and do a job and she becomes an editor and, you know, that she's sort mm. of going against a lot of the sort of um, strictures that women ha- had were sort of expected to put themselves in at that time. You know, it was, it was, you know, for those girls, it would have been very boring just being, you know, the lady of the house. You know, they want to do more. And I think you see that in Mary a lot. There's a lot of purpose and you know, they want to be useful, you know, and I think he, he kind of, he shows that progression really well throughout the series. 
um, particularly after the war, you know, women felt they could be much more useful, I guess, mm. after after the war. And I think that's really depicted in the show. Um, I think we've come a long way. Um, I, I th- there are times where I think I wish I wish it sometimes wasn't as noticeable, such as when when I just I just finished this job on Anatomy of a Scandal and um, the whole pretty much the whole creative team, bar David E. Kelly, um, who was the writer on the show, along with Melissa James Gibson, were women. So we had all female producers on set, a female director, S.J. Clarkson, and even our camerawoman, um, uh, Alana, um, was, was, you know, at the helm of it all uh, with, the, with the camera department. And, and um, it's, it's noticeable still. It's, you know, I, I, and we've talked about it a lot in interviews that, you know, I was, it was so, it still feels rare. Mm. Um, and I, I, I'm really hopeful that we'll get to a point where it doesn't have to be as noticeable. Mm. It is what it is. And that, you know, you can have as many women um, on a set as, as there are men. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You've already touched on Anatomy of a Scandal, and I mean, what an amazing show. It's so incredible, and I mean, like, if I I feel like I would need you as a barrister in my life, if ever I got in trouble, I'd be like, let's get her in. (laughs) (laughs) You're so good in it. Like, how, how did you, like, master that legal jargon? Walk me through that legal schooling, because when I watched it, I was like, she is literally this badass barrister, and it's like, the yeah. thing I needed the most in my life at that point. I was like, yes, living for this power on screen. Yeah, yeah, she's a she's a fantastic character. And that show was just, I loved it the minute I read the script. And I think it's a, you know, it's a really important issue. You know, consent is mm. is something that isn't, you know, people aren't aware of it, you know. And I, th- I think it, it creates conversation, that show. And and also about privilege, you know, it's, it has various different themes. And, um, and I, I was... I was so struck by her character and her this this idea of you know someone being someone being uh, so effect, obviously so affected by what had happened to her mm. and obviously we can give spoils spoilers here you know the twist in it is that she you know she isn't who she her identity she changes you know because of what happened to her and also in order to um, in order to become the QC that she is, and you know, it takes a long, it takes a lot to get where she's mm. she's at in that profession. And coming from a working class background, that that must have been very difficult for her, as Holly. And um, so she, you know, she really has to work her way up there. And you know, talking about sexism, it is that that environment, you know, for a woman mm. to be you know, at the top of her game in that profession is still quite rare, you know, and, 
both her and um, Angela, Gisette Simon, who's played by Gisette Simon, you know, they both have this sort of unconscious bond, I think, because they are both women who, who, who took, you know, it took a lot for them to get where, where they are. And so when she's, when she's given this case, it's huge, you know, and she, she sort of goes into it slightly blindly, but knowing deep down, you know, this isn't, um, <laughs> this, this, she could lose her job, you know, cause she's prosecuting someone that she knows and not only someone she knows, but someone who has assaulted her. Um, so it was a fantastic character to play because her arc was just massive, mm. you know, it's, and she, you know, she, she's very unreadable at the beginning and then she sort of becomes this, you know, entirely sort of different person. You realise that she's Holly Berry. And, um, and I, in order to get into the mindset of the barrister, I worked really closely with a QC, a top QC in the UK, who was basically my coach, you know, and she really helped Josette Simon and I um, with all of the kind of, you know, ways in which you sort of attack a cross-examination. And she, she was wonderful because she, we would just sort of do Zooms together like this. And um, she would play me and I would play other characters. And then I'd sort of hear her way of saying certain questions and her intonation and how she sort of executed each line. Um, and it was vital, you know, in order to play this sort of role, I had to really, you know, it's one of the hardest, you know, hardest roles I've ever had to play really. Mm. Um, Cause it, it required so much preparation and so much um, concentration. You know, I couldn't falter at any point. Um, I had to really, you know, stay on, stay on it. I just think it just literally hits you like a wrecking ball, like your performance. And it's just so great. And you must've had so many powerful conversations during the research process for this show as well. Because when we had Naomi Scott on, she talked very powerfully about the research she did and how it affected her performance and how the kind of story she had, especially from working with a female barrister as well, right? Like you must have had so many incredible stories that really stuck with you. Absolutely. And it was really, it was so important for a show like Anatomy because we were, you know, all of us, you know, the creatives, the actors, everybody, we were so, you know, so passionate about making this as authentic as possible and it being, you know, truth as you know, truthful, you know, to the people out there who may have experienced something like Naomi's character or my character. Um, and we worked really closely with a char- charity called Women's Aid, who I'd love to, you know, just uh, say in this podcast, just because I think it's really important that people mm. are aware of of Women's Aid, because you know, if somebody has been through something and they they don't know what to do. Um, whether that be to, you know, approach the police straight away or, or they, they want to sort of clarify um, what has happened. Because, you know, that's what the show is, you know, essentially it's about consent. And I think it's, you know, it's a charity that allows someone to kind of go somewhere to, to talk about what happened. And, and it's something that for us was, we, we were really strong about that. We just wanted it to feel feel right and know that we were playing these roles as as authentically as as possible you know it's really important for us Mm. and Naomi was amazing you know she was you could sort of hear a pin drop when she entered that room um in the courtroom and I actually hadn't met her before that moment because we we Gisette and I had been doing a scene and then Naomi walked into the we just started a rehearsal and I'm not sure whether that was set up by SJ or not I don't know but she was quite isolated you know Naomi at first and 
when she walked into the dock and you could you could hear a pin drop it was so you know I mean to imagine and I'm just speaking for Naomi but to you know to imagine what it felt it felt so nerve-wracking mm. for her as an actress you know she was saying I can't imagine what that must feel like for somebody who is actually going through it in real life um and I thought it was you know depicted in the show really well mm. and it's so amazing because you literally go from like amazing project to amazing project like defending jacob sensational i literally binge watched that in like eight hours straight the other day <laughs> and it was so intense and then you have done abby you have that you have scandal and it's so amazing to see you fly and being your power and really own these incredible <laughs> roles it's just amazing to see but when you think back to your career and we've touched on this a bit already in those pockets of moments of when you know the instability of being an actress in this world what do you think you've learned about success versus failure I think there's sort of merit in both I mm -hmm. feel like it's okay you know when I look back at, at things in my career I've like you know there are things that maybe I thought I'd lost out to you know maybe a certain job that I really wanted or um and actually that carved the path out for something else you know I sometimes look back and think well if actually if I'd have got that job that I thought I'd sort of you know lost out on I wouldn't be doing this and that's you know that's very true of certain things in in my career like you know there was Godless the Netflix show that I I got I think there was something else that I thought I really I can't even remember what it was at the time and that's I think that says a lot doesn't mm. it the time you think you really need to succeed at something and then it doesn't work out and then something else comes along. And um, I just, you know, for me, I feel like when it comes to this sort of thing, you know, success and, and all of that stuff, it's, I think I've learned to just trust, put your, you know, just trust that it will work out. It will sort of work out um, for the best. And if you sort of look at it like that, then, you know, those things that you look back on, they weren't failures actually. They were just, they were just there to sort of carve out, you know, the next bit. Mm, that's such a great way of looking at it. And I've really loved listening to you today and hearing your perspective Thanks. on so many things. And we always end on one final question. That question always is, in the reign of your life, what is the one rule you will always live by? Find the humour. Find the humour in, in whenever, in those moments in your life that are tough, find the humour in it. I think laughter is very, very important. Oh my God, 100%. We love a little bit of laughter sprinkled around. Like, it gets you through the day, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. And honestly, it's been so great talking to you and I like love you in literally everything. So it's oh, been you. so great talking to you, especially getting your perspective you. on the anatomy of a scandal because it's just sensational and right, great to have Downton back too. Yes, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks so much, Thank you so much for joining me for another amazing episode of Rain. I really hope you found something to take away from this episode. And if you have, let me know. You can always get me on socials at Josh Smith Hosts. I love to hear from you. And as always, if you've enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow wherever you get your podcast from. And more importantly, please share this with someone you think needs to hear it. Let's get those convos going and I'll see you next time.
Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do, as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want, and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook, and audiobook, read by me, no less, and it's out on the 20th of June.